0: this Word, the Logos, the divine Word that came in the flesh, as he will talk about in a moment. He says that he was the Eternal One, that he existed in the beginning before anything else existed, and that he existed with God the Father, and he was God. He was a partaker of the divine nature. He possessed everything that it is to be God. God. And that He created all things. And then you skip on down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. That He became something that He was not before. And He became a man. That eternally divine Word that created the world. He humbled Himself and He became one of us. John says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word therefore dwelt it's the idea of tabernacle that he tabernacled among us that he came and he existed right here where we are that God came to us. And many times we are we find ourselves in a position where we must defend the deity of Jesus for those who would deny that Jesus was God. When we might be discussing with someone who is not a Christian, someone who denies the existence of God, or maybe someone who is in a different religion, someone who is a Muslim, for instance, we might have to defend that Jesus was not just a prophet, but that He was fully God. And yet in so doing, when we're defending the deity of Jesus, we cannot forget that Jesus was also a man. The One who was the Creator of life and the universe and all that is within it came to dwell among men and live as a man. I don't know how all that happens. I don't know all the mechanics of how that works. It's a mystery in many ways. But what Jesus... He was not a man who elevated Himself to become a God. And neither was He just... A a divine person who is portrayed as a man. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He was God in flesh. And what John tells us is in John chapter 1 and verse 18 no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him that the divine Word that became flesh, He has explained, He has given us an idea of who God is. And so whenever we come to see Jesus, we see the perfect reflection of what it is to be God. That He is the explanation of what it is to be God. He is the One who has shown us who God is. He explains deity to us he explains the father to us so that we can come to know God but also whenever you think about Jesus and his humanity it's not that he is just the one who is able to reflect the perfect character of who God is he is also able to show us in perfect form what humanity ought to be and what you and I ought to be like Jesus shows us that That he shows us what we ought to be, that he was sinless and he was perfect and he came to do the will of his Father. You notice that phrase throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I came to do my Father's will. That is our essence. That is what our purpose here on this earth ought to be for each and every person. Each and every man, woman, and child, that should be our purpose in living. On this earth, our purpose is to do the will of the Father. As the Apostle Paul would explain in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, in this wonderful text in which Paul is explaining this idea that God became flesh. He says in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 6, Who, although he existed in the form of God... Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or something to be held on to use for his own purposes. He emptied himself, it says in verse 7, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You notice what Paul says? That Jesus, God, became obedient. That Jesus, He shows us what our purpose here as a human being ought to be. So Jesus, the one who is the Creator, He became the creature. The one who should be served, He became a servant. The commander, the one who gives commands, He became obedient and that was something that was the stumbling point for so many I think sometimes on this side of the cross because we have to defend the deity of Jesus and we can forget that Jesus was fully human what the Jews when they were discussing with Jesus when they would talk with him What they had trouble accepting was not that he was a man. They had trouble accepting that he was God. In John, the 10th chapter, in John chapter 10, as Jesus was discussing with the Jews in John chapter 10 and in verse 30, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, that was radical for them to hear. Jesus would continue on in verse 33 discussing with them, and the Jews answered him. For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They were ready to kill Jesus because of his claim. They said, You're blaspheming. And when we see Jesus, when he is tempted, in Luke, the fourth chapter, And in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted, he was being tempted to use his divine powers for himself. In Luke chapter 4 and in verse 3, whenever the devil appeared to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He's been out in the wilderness, he's being tempted, he is facing the devil one on one, and he's hungry. And the devil says, Here are these stones. You haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. You're hungry. Make these stones into bread. You have the power. And you know what Jesus never did? He never stepped outside of that role of a servant. He didn't use his powers for himself. We see his humanity as he was tempted. We see in other passages in the Gospels that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. He even asked questions, though all knowing God, He's asking questions. He learned and He grew tired. The one who has all power grew tired. He slept, He wept. As the Hebrew writer would say, He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And at His crucifixion in John chapter 19, Jesus, when He cries out, I am thirsty, the One who could provide living water to the woman at the well. Water that would satisfy our spiritual thirst and spiritual need. What you see Jesus crying out for is just a little bit of water because he became thirsty. The Creator became the creature, the Eternal One was dying. Don't let that be something that we ignore from this text of Scripture. And a second thing that we see when Jesus makes this statement, I am thirsty or I thirst, is that this is giving us a glimpse into the intensity of the suffering. These words may seem small. Depending on your translation of choice, it's either two words or three words. And We may read, we may think of it, and we may say, "Well, he's this is just evidence that he's dying and that he's he's growing thirsty because of the pain and anguish, and the asphyxiation that he's going through and that he's dealing with." But I believe this is also evidence of the cruelty of what he was seeing and that he was enduring. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm twenty-two. There's evidence that in this psalm that the Messiah was going to face this rejection, that He was going to also be parched. In Psalm 22 and verse 1, this is a psalm that we looked at about a month ago in our state in looking at the statement, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? And that's how the psalm opens up. It's a messianic psalm. And he goes on in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. It's a picture of just withering up. Being dehydrated. And needing something to quench that thirst and the pain. There's that statement that John makes in John 19 that Jesus made this Statement, I am thirsty. In connection with fulfilling the Scriptures, fulfilling the Word of God. John comments in John 19 and verse 20, after this, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the Scripture, said, I am thirsty. I believe the best passage of Scripture that shows us is in psalms in the 69th psalm well this is the passage of scripture that is probably in the back of john's mind as he is reflecting on what jesus said in psalm 69 as this psalm is about the one who is facing enemies he's imploring for god to save him in psalm 69 in verse 1 save me O god For the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk deep in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. This is someone who is enduring pain and he is asking for God to hear Him, to answer Him, and to save Him. It says in verse 4, those who hate Me without a cause are more than the hairs of My head. This is someone who's hated. What better passage of Scripture would fulfill and describe the situation that Jesus was enduring? And He goes on in verse 13, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. But before things get better, notice what he says in verse 20 and 21 Reproach has broken my heart, and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, When Messiah began to look for comfort, He found none. In fact, He was treated more cruelly Just as the soldiers gave Jesus sour wine, you think about that. Here is someone who is parched. They're drying up. They're withering away. And they just want some water. And instead of finding kindness, just human decency that would provide a little bit of moisture on the lips of someone who is dying. What Jesus finds is hatred, cruelty, and injustice. They dip a sponge in sour wine. And they give that to Him to drink. It's not as if giving Him a little bit of moisture and a little bit of pure water would have removed Him from the cross, it was not going to take the nails out of His hands. It shows the barbaric nature of what He was going through and what He was enduring. And for someone who is in that kind of pain, who is dying, and who can hardly breathe, and who is struggling with each breath to continue in their existence, and who is able to speak, it's just cruel to withhold that water. This is I guess this passage of scripture really came alive for me several years ago when my grandmother, she had a stroke and That first day, it was really tough to see her in that hospital bed. Her lips were dry. Her mouth was parched. We didn't know what was going to happen, what things were going to look like. She had not passed her swallow test, and some of the words that she was first able to cry out was, water. She was thirsty. We couldn't give her water. The only thing we could do was get a towel and put a little bit of moisture on her lips. To not be able to provide water was heartbreaking. What Jesus was going through was worse than that. And to what would have been even worse for us to do was to give her something sour. What this is teaching us in John 19 is that in that hour that Jesus was dying, there was no love that was shown. There's only cruelty. There's only hatred. There's only injustice. And that's what our Savior went through for you and for me. He went through some of the worst suffering that you could imagine. And treated unfairly. Dying for our sins. Then what this passage is also able to help us see is that as Jesus was dying on the cross, and as He cried out with thirst, it shows us the depth of Jesus' sufferings and the intensity that He was going through. But it shows us, very much connected with our first thought, that here is Jesus, God in the flesh, and He knows what it is like to suffer. Because of the incarnation, because God came down to earth, God knows what it is like to endure suffering. One of my favorite descriptions of God in in this ability for Him to know what it is that we are going through. For Him to express sympathy and mercy. It's found in the book of James. In James chapter 5. In James chapter 5 and in verse 11, as James is reflecting on the suffering of Job and how Job was patient and long suffering throughout this, it says, We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Your translation, you're reading from the King James Version, it might say that the Lord is pitiful. And that's not kind of the southern way of thinking of being, oh, you're just so pitiful and pathetic. That's not what that means. It's that Jesus or God is full of pity. That He gives you pity. He shows that. And He is full of tenderness and mercy. And what this text is teaching us is that God is not untouched by our experiences, the things that we go through, the things that we are going through, the things that are suffering, the things that are hard. God does not ignore that. He knows what it is to suffer because Jesus has suffered. God knows what it is like to suffer. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. That Jesus is able to sympathize with us. He is even able to show empathy and go even beyond that. In chapter 5 and verse 8, although He was a son, speaking about Jesus, He learned obedience From the things which he suffered. Our God knows what it is like to suffer. I think that is one of the unique characteristics about Christianity. That there's not just this huge divide. While we may not be in the spiritual realm that God is in presently, we are not there where he is. It's not that we are just so worlds apart, though. Because God knows what it is that we are going through. He knows the pain and the anguish. He knows the rejection. He knows the suffering that we have endured because Jesus endured it. So God knows what it is like no matter what difficulty it is, no matter what trial you may be going through, whether it's sickness and disease or despair and tragedy, God knows. As Isaiah the prophet described the Messiah in the Suffering Servant passage in Isaiah 53, he describes the Messiah as a man of sorrows. Jesus knows. And Jesus cares. And because God is capable of showing sympathy, and that Jesus has endured tragedy and grief Himself, what we see is that the principle and whenever we read about passages that would indicate that God loves us and that He cares for us. Those are not just empty words. Those are words filled with meaning. When Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 7, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Because our God became flesh who died and suffered and went through humiliation and pain and excruciating turmoil. God cares. Jesus is able to sympathize. As we grow older, as we deal with more pain and more sickness, as we deal with stress or anxiety with work, or as we deal with depression or discouragement, we need to realize that God cares for us because our Savior suffered for us when He endured the cross and the pain, and He endured the darkness of that day, God was there. Jesus remained faithful to God. And Jesus sets an example for us to follow that even in the darkest moments, when we think no one is here and no one cares, What well, Jesus shows us that there is light that can be found because God does care. And when those moments when the devil is going to try to use them to get you to turn away and to reject following God, because of the great difficulty and the great trials that you might be enduring. Look to the example of Jesus while He was on that cross. He did not abandon His faith in God. He remained faithful and obedient. And as a result, He becomes a faithful friend. And even if there is no one else that you can turn to, you can always turn to God. Our suffering Savior acknowledged His thirst in words that may sound very simple, very straightforward. I believe there's a lot of meaning behind these words. When we see Jesus' humanity and we see His suffering, And we see the sympathy that He is able to share with us in His pain and the anguish that He acknowledged His thirst. And sadly, it was not pure water that He was given to quench that thirst. This morning, I want you to think for a moment about Jesus' example and that He was capable of realizing that he was thirsty. And in John the fourth chapter, in John chapter 4, just one final passage for us to consider this morning, and then the lesson will be yours. In John chapter 4 and verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Very similar words. But this time Jesus was not wanting to talk about the physical water that might provide refreshment. He wanted to talk to her about living water that would quench all thirst. An eternal thirst. That would give her eternal life. He would continue on in verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The question I have for you this morning is Are you thirsty? Jesus was able to reckon with His physical thirst. But there is water that He offers and that He provides. Not physical water, not water that you would actually drink, but water that would quench every spiritual need. Namely, the forgiveness of our sins. do you need to come drink of the water that Jesus offers? Are you thirsty? There is water that He offers that would lead to eternal life. This morning, if you want to come believing in Jesus and accepting the drink that He will give you, you can come believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins. Be baptized in water to have your sins washed away. You can leave here rejoicing as a child of God. Maybe it is you've made that commitment, but you've not been living faithfully for Him. Jesus implores you to come to Him. He is still willing to extend His mercy and His grace to you. If you would come to Him. Whatever the need might be this morning, would you come to Him as we stand and as we sing?